You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Good morning. My name is Jarvis Williams, and I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Midtown. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, your word tells us that Jesus invites everyone who is weary and burdened to come to him and that he will give us rest. Father, we are burdened this morning and we are weary and we are heavy laden and we're asking you that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would break into our heaviness by the power of your spirit and open up our hearts. Give us a word from you so that we can feel and believe and know with confidence that your burden is easy and it's light. So we pray that you would lift us up this morning and we pray that we would respond by faith to the invitation of the text to present ourselves to you relentlessly by faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, may I believe what I'm going to preach. I pray that your people would believe it. By your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28, is one of three stories in this chapter that teach us two primary truths. Number one, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. Number two, Jesus wants our hearts. He wants our devotion to Him. He wants our repentance. Matthew elaborates these truths with three specific narratives and one summary section in this chapter in order to teach us that we must give our hearts to Jesus Christ. We must place our faith in him because he is, in fact, the Jewish Messiah and the Jewish Savior, but he's also the Messiah and Savior of all people who repent and follow him. For example, first... In verses 1 through 20 in Matthew chapter 15, Matthew records that Jesus tells the Pharisees and the scribes, they do not honor God with their hearts, and that their hearts are unclean because they are evil. Second, Matthew records that Jesus heals a Gentile woman and affirms her faith in him. Because she relentlessly pursued him and personifies for us how to honor God with our hearts. Third, in verses 29 through 31, Matthew tells us that Jesus shows he's the Messiah by healing various diseases. And then fourth, Jesus feeds 4,000 people. In verses 32 
through 39. However, our focus this morning is verses 21 through 28. And here, brothers and sisters, this Gentile woman who has faith in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah and as the Messiah of Gentiles, she demonstrates her faith in him and thus the status of her heart by relentlessly pursuing him to heal her daughter. I think the basic takeaway from this story is this. And hear this, brothers and sisters. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, and he is the Savior of Jews and Gentiles. And he invites everybody this morning, everybody, to repent, to honor him with their hearts by placing exclusive faith in him and relentlessly pursuing him until we die and someone drops us in the ground in a casket. You say it another way. This text invites all people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation and class and gender and race and ethnic group and dialect throughout the world to repent and follow Jesus and yield to him as our king. Verse 21, Matthew begins telling this story. And he tells us that Jesus intentionally goes to Gentile territory. According to verse 22, a Canaanite woman approaches Jesus. In Mark's parallel account, in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30, Mark identifies her as a Greek or a Syrophoenician woman. Her gender and her identity ethnically speaking, are very important to the story. Otherwise, why would Matthew mention them? They're important because we need to remember that Jesus is a Jewish man, and he's now preaching the gospel and doing ministry in Gentile territory. And this Canaanite woman, this Gentile woman approaches him and seeks to engage him in a conversation about her daughter. We know from Israel's history, the Canaanites and the Israelites were enemies. For example, just read the book of Judges. And both Jesus... And Matthew are aware of this history. So as Matthew tells the story, hear this, brothers and sisters. He wants us to understand that this woman is not Jewish. Rather, she is a Gentile shouting in public to a Jewish man, asking him to heal her daughter. In verse 22, the Canaanite woman approached Jesus, and the text says she was crying out to him. And notice what she says in verse 22. It's fascinating because she says something very Jewish-like. She says, verse 22, Lord, 
son of David. My daughter is sick with an illness. Another way of reading it is she is demonized with an illness. This is a very important moment in Jesus' ministry, a very powerful moment in his ministry and in the gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, Matthew's genealogy of Jesus presents him as the son of David, a Jew, and the son of Abraham, a Gentile. And as such, Jesus is the Messiah and Savior of Jews and Gentiles who repent and follow him. Furthermore, it's also true that after Jesus' resurrection, in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, Jesus tells the disciples to make disciples of all the nations, not just Jews, but to both Jews and Gentiles. However, we must remember this, brothers and sisters. For the most part in Matthew's gospel up to this point, Matthew has emphasized that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah who has come to save the Jewish people from their sins. In fact, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 tells us, Jesus will save his people, that is, the Jewish people, from their sins. And yet, in his encounter with this Gentile woman, we see Jesus is also the Messiah and Savior of Gentiles who repent and follow him. And we see that Gentiles, even a Gentile woman, have a faith and a righteousness greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees who do not repent and follow Jesus because she relentlessly pursues him and she demonstrates her heart, her life, Everything that she has is yielded to King Jesus by faith. Gentiles with faith in Jesus will enter the kingdom of heaven. But hear this, self-righteous religious hypocrites like the scribes, like some Sadducees and some Pharisees and like some who profess Christ but reject him by their lives. They will not enter the kingdom of heaven because their hearts are evil, which you can see by the way in which people live their lives. Well, in verse 23, Jesus ignores this Gentile woman's request. Matthew says he does not answer her a word in verse 23. Jesus' disciples then began to ask him in verse 23, please release her because she is crying out behind us. Her behavior possibly annoyed the disciples and maybe even embarrassed them. Since this Gentile woman in this Gentile region was calling Jesus a Jewish man and a Jewish Messiah, her Lord, as if she knew him. Verse 24, 
Jesus answered and said to the woman, I was not sent except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That is, Jesus is basically asking this question implicitly by his statement. What do you, a Gentile woman, want from me, the Jewish Messiah? Now, a clarification is in order here. Jesus engages with her on this level, I think, in order to teach his disciples and us that he's the Messiah and Savior, even of Gentiles who follow him. And he wants to teach us that the kingdom is wide open for everyone who repents and follows Jesus Christ as Lord, Messiah, and Savior. Furthermore, it's important that we understand that his interaction with this woman in this way, I don't think, is disrespectful. He's not being disrespectful. Instead, he wants to show his disciples and us that his mission of redemption, and hear this, it includes Jews and Gentiles, and it includes even women, male and female, Jew and Gentile, can repent and follow Jesus and become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. I think this woman's response supports my interpretation of the text. In verse 25, Matthew says, she began to fall down before him and she said, Lord, please help me. Notice she's relentless. In verse 26, Jesus says, it is not good to take the bread of the children and give it to the dogs. What? Did Jesus just call this woman a dog? Well, yes, he did. We must remember that ancients generally viewed dogs as wild and unclean scavengers. Some also viewed dogs in the ancient world as predators. Jesus' point here is that he has come only to save the lost sheep of Israel, not Gentiles, which is what he states in verse 24. But he's saying this in order to illustrate this fact. His mission, though primarily to Jews, includes Gentiles. And this story shows us that. By calling this Gentile woman a dog, he's making the point that Gentiles are not Jews. They are not part of the house of Israel. And by the way, just in case you think that somebody else is a Gentile dog, we are the Gentile dogs. Every single non-Jew is a Gentile dog. This text, brothers and sisters, is about us, those who are not ethnically Jewish. Apart from faith in Jesus Christ, we are all Gentile dogs. But hear this, and here is some good news. In Christ Jesus, we the Gentile dogs are now members of the commonwealth of Israel. That is, members of the people of God, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, along with other Jewish Christians. 
The people of God are Jews and Gentiles in Christ. And this Gentile woman's relentless pursuit of Jesus supports this. And notice, brothers, this woman is relentless and is a model of what genuine saving faith looks like. She's quite fascinating. She pushes back against Jesus in verse 27. And if you've paid any attention thus far in the gospel of Matthew, you know that when people push back against Jesus, it most often does not end well. But here, it does. She says in verse 27, she concedes the point. She is a Gentile dog. She's not a Jew, but she tells Jesus that even Gentile dogs need salvation. Notice verse 27. She says, yes, Lord, indeed, even the dogs eat from the crumbs which fall from the table of their masters. I love her answer. In other words, she is saying this. Yes, Jesus, I agree with you. I am a Gentile. I am not a Jew, but even we Gentiles need salvation. And listen to this. I will take whatever gospel crumbs you are willing to give me from your table. That's what she says. And I absolutely love Jesus' response in verse 28. He says, oh, dear woman, notice how the tone changes. See, he's trying to teach a point here. Oh, dear woman, your faith is great. Let it be to you as you desire. Then Matthew says, and her daughter was healed that very hour. Brothers and sisters, this Gentile woman's faith is contrasted with and greater than the faith of Peter. A Jewish man, when he sank in the water in Matthew chapter 14, verses 30 to 31, because he doubted Jesus, her faith is also contrasted with and greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees because their hearts were evil and because they did not know God or his Christ. Just read Matthew 15, verses 1 through 20, last week's sermon. This woman's faith, this Gentile woman's faith, is great. A few practical applications. Brothers and sisters, we must remember this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Faith in Jesus, and hear this, it is more than intellectual assent. Faith in Jesus is a commitment to him that shows itself by means of faithful obedience to and faithful submission to him as the Lord, as Messiah, and as Savior of the world. Faith in Jesus is a pattern of life. 
yielded in faithful obedience to him and faithful allegiance to him and to his agenda. Faith in Christ holds on to and responds to the demands that Jesus places upon our lives until we are dead. Faith is not simply a moment's decision to affirm some truths about God. Faith is an absolute loyalty to Jesus and everything the Bible says about him until we die. And if you don't have that this morning, you don't have faith. Faith is not perfection, but faith is faith. Second application. Sisters in Christ, hear this this morning. Be encouraged. The kingdom of heaven is yours in Christ. You are valued and appreciated and loved in the kingdom by Christ. And we at Midtown need you to use your gifts in the kingdom and in this church to build up the whole body. Now hear this, not just to build up the women, but to build up the entire body in the appropriate context, within the appropriate boundaries, and in the appropriate ways that are consistent with the Bible's teaching. Sisters, you are not, you are not N-O-T, you are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven or in this church. And brothers, we all need to hear that this morning. We need to hear this morning that our sisters in Christ in this church are not second-class citizens in the faith. And we need to make sure that we as a church always celebrate our sisters in Christ and continue to create spaces for them to use their gifts to build up the whole body in ways consistent with the scriptures, boundaries, and roles for men and women. And I know I can't hear you, but I hope I have one witness this morning in your living room or in your kitchen or wherever you're listening to this sermon. Further, the gospel of Jesus Christ brings different people together in the one kingdom over which Jesus Christ reigns as king. And we, therefore, as a church, must continue to believe in a big gospel. We must continue to preach a big gospel, continue to apply, apply and obey a big gospel, a gospel that centers on the penal substitutionary death of Jesus. That is that Jesus died on the cross to absorb the wrath of God for our sins and so that we would be counted not guilty in the judgment because God reckoned our sin against Christ and Christ reckoned his righteousness. God reckons Christ's righteousness to us on our behalf. Jesus receives our punishment, our penalty. We receive his righteousness by faith, and we stand before God justified, not guilty. We must preach a gospel that emphasizes justification by faith, repentance of sin, and all the rich treasures that God reveals to tell us how we can come to saving faith in Christ. But hear this, 
We must also preach and obey and apply a big gospel that talks about the reconciliation of sinners, yes, to God, but also to each other. That enemies of God and enemies of each other can be reconciled into one people, one multi-ethnic, spirit-empowered, Christ-exalting people known as the church. And we must also preach and teach and apply a big gospel that emphasizes God's cosmological renewal, that Jesus disarmed the principalities and powers of the air via the cross, and that the goal of his redemption is for God to recreate the whole cosmos filled with kingdom citizens who follow Jesus in the new covenant, who reign with him forever and ever. We must be committed, brothers and sisters, to a big gospel that talks about the totality of what God has done for us in Christ. So let's pray that we be committed to a gospel that justifies, a gospel that reconciles, a gospel that restores, and a gospel that tells us how to live as spirit-empowered Christians. May we believe in God's totality of what he's done for us in Christ so that we can work out and live out our multi-ethnic vision as a church. But let me give you some warnings here. Let me warn you this morning, if we are committed to the multi-ethnic vision of Midtown, just because it sounds cool or is convenient, I promise you that we won't last when the going gets tough. And I promise you, the going will get tough. And if you don't know what our vision is as it relates to multi-ethnicity, you should go to our webpage and listen to those sermons from the vision series and read the documents on our webpage that outlines Midtown's vision. The going will get tough because such a vision is both joyful, but it's also painful. And when you see glimpses of the beautiful multi-ethnic church Midtown is trying to become and could possibly be, you'll both rejoice and you will lament. You will. And you will become tired. Because multi-ethnic churches will have multi-ethnic problems, experience multi-ethnic joy and multi-ethnic pain, especially during election years especially when our city and nation experience racial tensions, especially when we disagree, especially during a global pandemic, especially when people lie on, slander, and falsely accuse you of being unfaithful to the gospel because you are faithful to a multi-ethnic vision of redemption. The going will get tough. But hear this, brothers and sisters. If we want to be a church where Jews and Gentiles, Canaanites and Israelites, the Gentiles and the dogs, and where people from different political spectrums can eat at the same table and are redeemed by the blood of Christ, transformed by the power of the Spirit, and live in pursuit of one another in God-centered, Christ-exalting, and Spirit-empowered love, then we as this Gentile woman must be relentless in our pursuit of this 
vision. Both now, hear this, as we practice social distancing and beyond this pandemic. We must be relentless in our prayers for it. Must be relentless in our seeking to do life with one another, even from a distance. Must be relentless in our patience with one another when we offend one another. Must be relentless in trying trying to understand one another's story without projecting our story onto each other. We must be relentless in our willingness to use our resources to serve our vision, our gifts, our money, our time. We must be relentless in persevering when the going gets tough. We must be relentless in our love for one another. And we must be relentless in our willingness to listen with love, to dialogue with love, and to disagree with love. And the only way we can be relentless in this is if we are trusting by faith in Jesus' wrath-bearing death, and in his resurrection from the dead, and if we're relying upon the power of the Spirit, and we at this church, when when we gather together corporately, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which talks about the broken body and the shed blood that Jesus shed to bring about the very redemption about which I've been preaching. And so if you're watching this program this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ by faith, we invite you to turn from your sin and come on in to the kingdom and partner with us to be relentlessly in pursuit of a God-centered vision of kingdom ministry that focuses on Jesus' death and resurrection. Amen. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.